A plea for military aid to continue as Russia's war on Ukraine enters a third year. Right now, a lot of democracies uh, are being influenced by Russian propaganda and they are um, lowering and making the support smaller for Ukraine. And we must stop that because if we fall here now, all of the world will fall. Plus, President Zelensky, for the first time, reveals the number of Ukrainian soldiers killed since Russia's full-scale invasion. He announced that 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed in this war already. And later in the program, despite constant shelling, how Ukraine's railways continue to provide vital support for Ukraine's military. Today is Monday, February 26th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint. Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London. Russia's war in Ukraine officially enters a third year. Two years war, it's really hard. Hard to see what Russians do in my country. How many so beautiful buildings, historical buildings destroyed. How many lives is destroyed. How many families are destroyed. It's so hot. Ukrainians on Saturday laid flowers to honor their dead, wept, and hoped for victory, despite the war's mounting toll as they marked two years since Russia's invasion that shows no sign of letting up. In the capital, Kyiv, President Volodymyr Zelensky led commemorative events alongside visiting foreign leaders. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said Ukrainian forces should be proud of their resistance. Exactly two years ago, it felt like everything was lost and Kyiv would fall within days. But Kyiv stood strong. Your courage stood in Putin's way. You did not flee or flinch. A small contingent of Ukrainian heroes held back the invader, fighting to your last bullet and your last breath. In a news conference on Sunday, Zelensky revealed the number of Ukrainian soldiers he believes have been killed since the start of the war in February 2022. I spoke with Anna Chernikova in Kyiv, who was one of the reporters in attendance. Yeah, on Sunday, a day after the anniversary, President Zelensky uh, had a big press conference addressing all the questions of journalists, mostly international journalists, and he made an announcement for the first time since the beginning of the full-scale invasion about the actual uh, number of losses from the Ukrainian side, and he announced that 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed in this war already, which was, I should not say that it was a surprise. Uh, a lot of people are commenting on this news that this number uh, might be higher and that this is not the realistic amount, that the that realistic amount is higher, but some experts believe that this might be kind of a close to a real situation at the front line. So, we cannot really independently verify, but uh, we will take it as a fact that President Zelensky said. But still, 31,000 soldiers is quite a big number. Uh, and uh, definitely, this is uh, probably was one of the main uh, announcements during this press conference. 
And what were Ukrainians doing to mark this somber anniversary? Some events, commemorate events, uh, took place uh, across Ukraine. Ukrainians got out uh, to the streets to remind the world that the war is still ongoing, to remind the world the world that a lot of Ukrainians, particularly Ukrainian soldiers, but also Ukrainian civilians, remain in Russian captivity as prisoners of war. And a lot of friends and uh, relatives of those people uh, got out to the streets also to tell the world that their uh, loved ones remain somewhere far away and uh, to ask the government, to ask uh, the allies to help to get them back home. Also, of course, uh, across the country, there were no really official big events happening because in terms of the security, but uh, President Zelensky met with a number of officials also to commemorate and to mark this occasion, to mark this uh, anniversary. And uh, next day, a big uh, press event took place where uh, a lot of ministers and governmental officials and President Zelensky himself also talked to journalists and addressed a lot of important questions concerning the war and especially concerning the uh, ability of Ukraine to continue the defense. I know he he also made another plea for the urgency of needing support from allies. Yep. Again, during the press conference, President Zelensky mentioned that international allies and international community should change their rhetorics from helping Ukraine until the end to helping Ukraine now, because otherwise, if there is delay in this help, in this aid, the end can come uh, really fast. Basically, this was probably one of the main messages as well. And President Zelensky was also highlighting the need of Ukrainians, of the military and economic aid as soon as possible, not, not even for tomorrow, but for yesterday. And he reminded that Ukrainian forces uh, had to withdraw from Avdiivka and also one of the reasons is that uh, Ukrainians did not have enough equipment and enough ammunition to fight the number of uh, Russian forces. So uh, definitely Ukrainians continue to fight, continue to defend uh, a new defense line in that area, but the aid is needed as soon as possible, otherwise it will be extremely difficult and it, it is already, but it will get even worse. Anna Chernikova reporting to us from Kiev. Thank you so much, as always, for giving us this update. Thank you, Laurie. President Joe Biden will host the top congressional leaders at the White House Tuesday as he continues to press lawmakers to approve aid for Ukraine. Associated Press correspondent Sagar Magani reports. An emergency aid package for Ukraine and Israel has passed the Senate, but Speaker Mike Johnson's resisting giving a House vote. Asked last week if he'd talk with Johnson. The Speaker will be among those meeting with the President tomorrow. This is one of those instances where one person can been the course of history. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told ABC News this week when George Stephanopoulos, Ukraine badly needs the aid to keep fighting off Russia. The administration's also expected to stress the need for legislation to keep the federal government operating. The first tranche of funding will expire Friday, and Senate Chief Chuck Schumer says there's no agreement yet to avoid a partial shutdown. Sagar Magani, Washington. As Ukraine 
Ukrainian and European leaders Sunday underscored the urgency of providing Ukraine with weapons and economic aid. The war continued, as did calls for stopping the human suffering. VOA's Veronica Balderas Inglesias has details. A railway station in Ukraine's Donetsk region was in flames Sunday after reportedly being hit by a Russian-guided bomb. Images also surfaced of a Russian military leader scouting the town of Avdivka, which was taken from Ukrainian control on February 17. Although Ukraine's will is still strong, the resistance needs weapons and fast, warned the country's Minister of Defense, Rustem Umerov. In the mathematics of war, we'll look to the enemy. Their economy is almost two trillion. So basically, whatever committed that doesn't come on time, we'll lose people, we'll lose territories. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan appeared on ABC's This Week. He urged Mike Johnson, Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives, to bring the currently stalled $61 billion aid bill for Ukraine up for a vote in Congress. Speaker Johnson, if he put this bill on the floor... Um, would produce a strong bipartisan majority vote in favor of the aid to Ukraine. We saw that in the Senate. And if we can fill that shortage of bullets, Ukraine will stand up brave and courageous uh, and take the fight to the Russians. Sullivan's remarks came a day after Ukrainians marked the two-year anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of their country. I believe that victory is ours. The whole world is supporting us. If Ukraine loses, it turns out that the whole world will lose against one country. The war has already taken a big toll on the psychological well-being of Ukrainian children, warned UNICEF. Many experience elevated levels of anxiety and disengagement in school. Pope Francis called for an ease of the human suffering during Sunday prayers at the Vatican. I plead for that little bit of humanity to be found that will create the conditions for a diplomatic solution in the search for a just and lasting peace. There was a glimmer of hope when Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke during a news conference about two peace summits that could take place in the coming months. I hope the first summit, the inaugural one, will take place as per today's information in the spring. We cannot afford to lose the diplomatic momentum. It will take place in Switzerland. The second summit we would like to take place somewhere else on the European continent. Any resulting peace blueprint would be presented to the Russian side, although Zelensky acknowledged there's no guarantee that it will be accepted. Veronica Valderas Iglesias, VOA News, Washington. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. As Ukraine stays hopeful to become a future member of NATO, the alliance has expanded. Olivia Chan with Reuters has more. Hungary ratified Sweden's NATO accession on Monday, clearing the last hurdle before an historic step for the Nordic country, whose neutrality lasted through two world wars and the Cold War. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban addressed Parliament before the crucial vote. The Swedish-Hungarian military cooperation and Sweden's accession to NATO 
will strengthen Hungary's security. Stockholm abandoned its non-alignment policy for greater safety within the North Atlantic Treaty Organization in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine in 2022. Though Sweden was kept waiting in its bid to become a NATO member as Turkey and Hungary raised objections. They both maintain better relations with Russia than other members of the US-led alliance. Turkey withheld ratification on Sweden's membership, demanding tougher action against militants from the PKK that it said had made a home in Sweden. The PKK has been designated a terrorist group by Ankara. We are no safe haven for, for PKK. Sweden changed its laws and relaxed rules over arms sales to a sage Turkey. The accession of Sweden and Finland is the most significant expansion of the alliance since its move into Eastern Europe in the 1990s. Robert Dauschow is a senior analyst with the Swedish Defence Research Agency. NATO gains a member uh, that is serious and capable, and it removes uh, a factor of uncertainty in Northern Europe. The final piece of the puzzle falling into place, making NATO's position uh, in the Nordic-Baltic region whole. Sweden will bring resources such as cutting-edge submarines tailored to Baltic Sea conditions and a sizable fleet of domestically produced Gripen fighter jets into the alliance. It is hiking military spending and should reach NATO's threshold of 2% of GDP this year. Olivia Chan with Reuters reporting. It's difficult and... But we will not give up and uh, we're fighting for our land, for our home. The United Nations says more than 10,000 civilians have been killed and nearly 20,000 others wounded since the start of Russia's invasion. After enduring two years of war, after enduring two years of war, communities reduced to rubble and uncertainty for the future, I asked Greta Euling, professor at the University of Michigan Center for Russia, East European and Eurasian Studies, if Ukrainians are growing war-weary. That's an important question, um, and I think that, you know, a lot has been said about war weariness in Ukraine, but weary is sh should never be confused with defeated, right? We mustn't conflate those two things. Um, life under bombardment and the air raid sirens are, of course, taxing to continuing your life, but many people in our cities in particular have found ways to carry on. And I also think that the war weariness, the emphasis on that particular response fails to capture some other very important emotions. There's a very broad and individual spectrum that can't really be captured by a single story. And among the people that I routinely communicate with in Ukraine, two important responses that come up frequently are rage and betrayal. The question being, why is the country being given just enough to survive, but not enough to win? That raises a secondary question is, what are all of these terrible losses for, right? Because the human impact has been so profound with 400 military casualties, uh, 50, some between 20 and 50,000 people have lost limbs, hundreds, potentially thousands of children removed from the country, and um, an estimated 10,000 Ukrainian prisoners in Russian holding facilities. Not to mention the, the military casualties and the fact that somewhere around, you know, 25% of the country is not living in their Homes. Um, I would say that another thing to think about in relation to how people are coping is this very significant experience of 
uncertainty. So there's fear for the safety of loved ones that may be fighting at the front or um, may have been displaced. And, you know, my recent book, Everyday War, I talk about how the engagement of civilians um, in war produces these everyday ethics of care, right? So my research found people showing levels of care for one another that they characterized as un unprecedented. And really, I think that the developments since the full-scale invasion just amplify those findings, right? So by everyday war, I mean these conscious and creative ways that non-combatants respond to and participate in war in ways that are chromatic, self-defensive, designed with the interest of their country as a whole in mind. And so, you know, many of the Ukrainians who are not fighting have developed creative ways to contribute to the war effort by donating to it. So for, uh, I think a really good example would be the artist's who donate proceeds to their effort, right? So you can buy a scarf or socks on, on Etsy, and the artist will tell you exactly how many bullets the purchase of your whatever it is, $20, $25 scarf or sock translates into. So, you know, at the same time that there has been massive dispossession, massive disruption, these experiences have also given rise to transformation, right? There's there's an explosion of interest in Ukrainian language and literature. The armed forces have been transformed not only by expanding, but by their inclusion of women. So new forms of communication through platforms like Telegram and memes and other social media platforms have are fostering social cohesion across divisions that used to keep people from communicating. So I think that um, it's really a complex picture of both, you know, dispossession and disruption coupled with transformation. In the beginning, when this started, people were lining up to serve. We're hearing stories that that's, that's not the case now at all. So is it just people are just afraid now of losing their lives? It's at an inflection point for sure, at least for now. Aid is stalling and there must be some concern for the country's survival. Oh, by all means. By all means. I mean, I think that there's profound concern. And as you mentioned, you know, the popularity of the military conscription has fallen precipitously. And I think that here again, it's important to remember that the people who are fighting, they're saying that they would rather keep fighting than risk a pause that might enable them to regroup, but then they would have to face the prospect of going back to the front yet again, you know, with another another incursion. So I think it's complicated. Um, I think it's difficult. I think that as during the, you know, the initial full-scale invasion in 2022, February, the country continues to face an existential crisis. There's no question. There's no question. So it's important to remember that the World Bank, USAID, the European Union, European governments, all of these partners are also involved. The attention has been pretty focused on the importance of weapons from the United States that European right. don't have the ability to provide. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the sense of rage and betrayal alongside the weariness is, is good to underscore. Are they, are they feeling sort of betrayed by the United States? Yes, 
Because, you know, the United States, Ukraine willingly gave up its nuclear weapons in 1994 under the Budapest Memorandum with security assurances that, you know, the U.S. and Great Britain in particular would rise to their defense in the event of a violation of their state sovereignty. And now the U.S. government is saying, well, maybe not. So that's betrayal. It's political, too. Obviously, the White House has been pushing very, very hard for supporting Ukraine, um, but he can't without congressional approval. Sounds like President Biden may be working on ways around that at this point. Going into year three, is there a sense of what happens if we don't get the support and what happens? Right. I mean, it could be that Russia takes over the country, or it could be that it a really protracted, gruesome, street-by-street fight. There's really no good options unless Ukraine is supplied with the weapons that it needs for a decisive victory that forces Russia to, you know, relinquish captured territory and come to a definitive cessation of hostilities. I don't see a good option without provision of military aid. And so I would imagine that mood of outrage and anger, there's probably a deep-rooted collective grief. Yes. Every Ukrainian has lost somebody. And every Ukrainian has to wonder what it was for if ultimately the military aid with which they began the counteroffensive trickles out. You know, why did their loved one have to sacrifice their life if it was ultimately just in, you know, part of this failed effort? Greta Euling, professor at the University of Michigan Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies. Thanks so much. And finally today, during the two years since Russia's invasion, Ukrainian railways became the country's key means of transportation to evacuate people from frontline cities, transport world leaders, and move cargo and troops for the Ukrainian army. With over 22,000 kilometers of track, the state-owned network keeps working despite constant damage from shelling. Leja Bakaletz has the story from Kyiv. Right after Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, Kyiv's central railway station became a place of pain and fear as Ukrainians fled the capital ahead of the Russian army advance. Ukrainian railway conductor Oleg Kubetsky was on vacation in western Ukraine when Russia launched its full-scale invasion. He decided to return to Kyiv. Kubetsky says he was shocked but realized he had a job to do. The people needed to be evacuated. Honestly, he says, it was so scary to see all the people on the platform. Children screaming, parents screaming. The train went west. The carriages were more than full, about 180 people in each, he says. Kobetsky then traveled to the east and south, close to the front line, evacuating civilians and transporting the wounded on a special medical train. He says he always tries to offer the best service for Ukrainian soldiers. Kabetsky says he tries to make their trip as comfortable as possible. He can even cook for them right inside the carriage. He says his son and all his nephews are fighting. He does what he can, he adds. Over the past two years, Ukrainian railways officials say they have evacuated at least 4 million people. Kobetsky, along with his fellow walkers, never refused to go close to the front lines. Their bravery has earned them a nickname – Iron People.
Ukrainian Railways Head of Communications Oleksandr Shevchenko says there has been no case in which a railway conductor, train manager, steward or station worker refused to go to work in frontline station on tracks, he says. Since the war began, the Russian army has constantly shelled the railways. During the time, around 600 railway workers have been killed and more than 1,500 wounded, either on the job or as immobilized soldiers, according to the railway company. Shevchenko says that from the first day of the full-scale invasion, the workers have tried to deliver the message that the railways will not stop. They haven't canceled a single trip without a serious war-related reason, he says. Since air traffic has been suspended because of the war, world leaders and delegations have relied on the railway for travel into Ukraine. Shevchenko says that for diplomatic trips they have special algorithms for travel during a missile threat or other alarms. They always have backup roads and can disguise their transportation, he says. A lot of top-level guests buy souvenirs in the railway gift shop, which opened last year. Store manager Oleksandra Vichota says Boris Johnson bought and immediately wore their signature hat. Sean Penn and Orlando Bloom have their hoodies, and she says Ursula von den Leyen came to them as well. The most popular item in the store is a sweet shirt with a road schedule to the city still under occupation. And on the tracks is a train to victory, rail carriages printed to represent each occupied region. The plan is for it to be the first train in service in these areas when Ukraine regains control. Lesia Bakalets, WIOA News, Kyiv. And that wraps up our show for today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. On behalf of all of us at VOA, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Lori London.